Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. The Tribulation, a topic often discussed, but with so many viewpoints out there, how do we know what it really is? Today, Pastor Alex Cateroja plows the scriptures to see what the Apostle John meant when he mentioned the Tribulation in Revelation 1 verse 9. What the Bible says may be a lot different than we've been told before. Stick with us as we continue expositing the book of Revelation. Well, speaking of the study, you know, this one in particular, uh, it was a hard week, as you can see. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty massive subject and topic, and I'm going to make an effort to even touch it a little bit. And I want to warn us now, a lot of this might go over your head, but just stay with it. Um, and just so you know, for me, for my sake, a lot of times why it's hard, because, you know, I've been studying the scriptures for, you know, almost 20 years. And now I'm being challenged on what I know based on kind of the whole approach to scripture and really following the rules of engagement that we set out. So I'm stubborn, too. And, you know, when they say you can't teach an old, draw, an old dog new tricks, it's hard to kind of break the mold. So what was hard this week, especially when we tackle this topic, is really, okay, me kind of unlearning with you. Because some of you might still be there or might have been exposed to some of this stuff. So I'm going to try my best to help unlearn some things and then try to put it back to a biblical base or a biblical balance. So that's going to be the goal of our study today. Amen? All right, if you don't have your either Bible or your PowerPoint deck ready, if you can get that ready and be prepared along with me to go over our study today. And the title of our study today is In the Tribulation. And I just want to kind of ask some questions up front. When I say tribulation, what comes in your mind? Trouble, hardship, and when it gets to the study of eschatology, there's a lot of different teachings about tribulation or a familiar term, the great tribulation. So what we're going to endeavor to do in our study today as we pick up in verse 9 is we will take a little bit of a detour and kind of talk about what the scripture tells us about tribulation. What we're going to find is there's different kinds of tribulation for different groups church included, the people of Israel included, and the world included. Sadly, as we'll see when we go through this study, when we're, what was typically being taught is everything just gets mushed up, and we really don't even have a chance to be able to distinguish the different types of tribulation that's in store, you know, whether it's for the church, for the people of Israel, the land of Jerusalem, as well as the world, those who are on the earth. So our goal is to kind of learn and unlearn together maybe some of the things that we thought the tribulation is and isn't. And as I mentioned in our introductory comments, um, this is going to be very, it's going to be very difficult. Um, I think for a lot of us, you know, even for me included, to unlearn something is hard because it's kind of been embedded in us. We've been hearing it over and over and over for, you know, for some of us, for a long period of time. And when we're studying the Scripture in the way that we've been doing it, where we're following 
our rules of engagement that we set out from the beginning. We had those 10 rules of engagement and following these principles with the goal to hear what the Spirit really says to the church is what the Scripture really says. And I, I trust by some of the comments and feedback from, from all of us that the studies up to this point has been edifying. A lot of us are being challenged in our thinking. A lot of us are like, wow, how come it wasn't proclaimed in the way that we're learning today? And what I can tell you is, and what I'm finding is, a lot of times and a lot of the Christianity that we know today, it's just a bunch of teachings and systems and theology kind of doctrines and like and titles. Hey, what camp are you in? What do you hold? What are you this? Are you this? Are you that? Oh, you're over there. Or I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Or I'm of, you know, this guy. I'm of this guy. I'm of this guy. We're kind of all over the map. And a lot of the stuff that, especially when it comes to the end times, and because we're studying the end times, which is, I would argue, it's the, by far the most difficult subject to tackle, where I think we're finding ourselves you know, bumping up against a lot of the you know, maybe misrepresentations or the twisting of things to make things fit. So as we go through our study, um, I'm just asking you now to kind of be patient. A lot of this might seem a bit much, because it was a bit, bit much for me. But the goal is to unlearn whatever we can and then relearn with what the Scripture tells us. Amen? So with that, let's, let's begin our Scripture reading. Even though we're only going to cover verse 9 today, I do want to read the context so that we can start to get familiar with the portion of our text. And we'll read Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. And I'll be reading from the NAS. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the, se are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we'll conclude our reading, at least for that portion of the text right there. 
And we're going to be looking at just verse 9 today. Well, let's look at what verse 9 says one more time. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So in verse 9, John calls himself a, a fellow brother, and Greek is Adelpho, and a fellow partaker uh, in the Greek, sugkoinonos. And when John says, I, John, your brother, your Adelpho, the context is going to tell us what he means by that, because Adelpho, it could mean Brother can mean different things depending on the context. It can mean a literal blood brother. That's your literal blood, Adelpho. Or Adelpho could be, you know, someone of your same ethnicity or race. So in the case of Israel, a fellow Israelite. And brother, depending on his context, it could mean in the family of God, you know, a brother or sister, let's say, in Christ. So the context is going to tell us which one. And shug koi nonos, and that means a companion, a partner, a joint partaker, or sharer with someone. And in the book of Revelation, the primary recipients are not only called brothers, but earlier we learned that this was also addressed to his Jesus' bondservants or slaves or doulos. So as a reminder, when we are reading the book of Revelation, we have to consider you know, who is the primary audience or recipients of this letter? And at least the most immediate primary recipients of this letter are the seven churches. And we'll get into the letter to those seven churches. So these are, so the seven churches that were in existence that first century, that are, that's the primary audience of the book of Revelation, as well as some future audience, as we'll see in the 144,000 sealed Jews, the two witnesses and prophets, and then ultimately glorified saints. So John is identifying with them as fellow brothers and sharers. And he says, he along with them are sharers in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance. So from here, we're really going to look at this phrase, which is the title of our study, in the tribulation, because John says that he, along with them, are sharers in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance. So we're going to look at this phrase more broadly, because tribulation, as we'll see, there are different types of it, and we'll get into what those differences are. And I, I want to say this up front. When I say tribulation, there's a lot of confusion with, around that word already because it means different things to different people and depending on the different teachings that you've been exposed to. But first, let's just kind of set a foundation of what tribulation is. Tribulation is philipsis, which means persecution, affliction, anguish, distress, or trouble. And if you want like another good definition of you know, what is tribulation? When you, when you hear our English word tribulation, which the original Greek is calypsis, I'd like to use Jesus' example that he gave concerning labor. And let me read that example to you in John 16, 21. And this was Jesus was speaking that night before he was arrested. We'll pick it up in verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain. Because her hour has come. 
But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish, at least it's transliterated here, or the thlipsis, or the tribulation, or the affliction, because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. So when I say the English word tribulation, which the original Greek is thlipsis, you want to know what a, what's a good picture? Okay, what is tribulation? Think about a woman giving labor. That's probably the most excruciating pain that a human being can experience. I've witnessed it. And I was like, thank you, Lord. I'm a man. But you know what? I had a whole newfound respect for my wife. She is stronger than me in many ways because I don't think I can deal with that. But tribulation, when you see that word, think of a woman in labor, in anguish, in pain. That is in the tribulation. That's tribulation. Okay? Kind of got that mental picture? Let's continue on. What's often overlooked is not recognizing that there are different types of tribulation or anguish or affliction, at least in the New Testament. And just so you know, I've looked at every palipsis in the New Testament. And that's why this is hard. And I tried my best to, okay, how can I consolidate this so that we can say, okay, here's kind of the summary of what the New Testament says concerning tribulation. There's the church tribulation. Now here's the thing. The church is going to experience that anguish, that affliction, that kind of like going through labor, pain. But even in the church, there's different types of tribulation. I call it the faithful edition. For those who are just faithful to being a Christian, being faithful to believing the gospel and not rejecting Christ in a perverse and adulterous generation. I call that, they're going to experience tribulation. I call that the faithful edition through persecution. And that happened from the time of Pentecost. And then there's another kind of church tribulation, and I call this the unfaithful edition, in the form of discipline. And that happened, as we'll see when we progress in our study today, that happened at least in the first century, meaning there's going to be some in the church that will be persecuted, that's a tribulation, that's anguish, and that's pain, for being faithful. And then there's also those who are in the church, who are unfaithful, who God, or through the Lord Jesus Christ, is warning that he will discipline. And that happened from the first century even forward. So that's one type. The church tribulation. The church is going to experience tribulation. From its existence, as we'll see, and there's going to be an ending point of that. And there's different types, as I mentioned. Now another tribulation for a different group Jerusalem's tribulation. Jerusalem's tribulation. And I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again. When you study the scriptures, Israel's Israel. Got it? 100% of the time. Israel's Israel. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel. Israel's not the church. You have to get that. The church did not replace Israel. You have to get that. There's teaching out there in the form, and it's called like replacement theology, that teaches along the lines that, oh, because of Israel's sin and killing Messiah, 
that God, you know, is done with them and replaced them with the church. And now the church is the new body of, or the new Israel. Something along those lines. No, 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 no. Don't do that. As we've learned countless times throughout the Old Testament, God is not done with his people, Israel. And that they are heirs of the covenant of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. They are the original olive tree. And the Gentiles of, not of a tree, of a, of a wild tree is being grafted in as Paul used in his imagery. But even Paul says, God is not done with his people whom he foreknew. For God's promises and his calling are irrevocable. So when you study the scripture, keep that distinction between the church and Israel. In the grand scheme of things, the church was a mystery that no one knew until the preaching of the gospel and primarily from the Apostle Paul himself. He was given this mystery. He's like, oh wow, Lord, this, my- this mystery of the body of Christ, this body, this entity that is the body of Christ in people is something that wasn't foretold or proclaimed until the teaching and preaching of the gospel. What happened was when Israel sinned, the church was, you can say, took the baton and are now tasked in making disciples and bringing the gospel up to you know, the ends of the earth. There's this kind of overall call. But it's because Israel is being punished and they've been punished from at least 70 A.D., even till this very day, even though they're a nation once again. But just don't blur the lines between Israel and the church. And just so you know, I've looked at every mention of Israel itself. 100% of the time, it's Israel. Now, when you get to Romans, and Paul says, well, not all who are Israel are Israel, right? One is not a Jew for being one outwardly, but being a Jew is inward, and that is the circumcision of the heart. So there's some teaching out there saying, see, the church, the New Testament believers is the new Israel. That's not what Paul is saying. You have to read it in context. He's talking to a Jew who is relying on the law, and Paul is making his charge that, oh, you think you're all this in a bag of chips? You think, yeah, the Gentiles are under sin, but guess what? You are under a sin too, and you're not a Jew just because you're one outwardly. You're a Jew if you're one inside. And the circumcision, not of the flesh, but of in your heart. He's talking to a Jew of what a real Jew is. But you know what? There's teaching out there that says, no, the church is now the new Israel. Don't do that. Because then you're going to be blindsided on a lot of the prophecies and promises that we've been learning together. So in the tribulation, we will see there is one specific to Jerusalem. And then lastly, and this is the one that probably is the most confusing. There is a global tribulation. So it's not the church tribulation. It's not Jerusalem's tribulation. It is a global tribulation. And just like in the church tribulation, there's kind of different, I call it additions of it. In the global tribulation, as we'll see, there's even different types of global tribulation where it's experienced through the world powers who are in power, and that are causing havoc on the earth. And then there's also another global tribulation where it's cataclysmic events. 
And where there's a lot of confusion is when you hear the, the, the title or the, the description of the Great Tribulation, oftentimes they're thinking about the global tribulation, the world powers and the cataclysmic events, but somehow they're blurring the lines, whether you know, from the church tribulation and Jerusalem's tribulation, and even in some cases saying that the church or believers aren't going to be here through the global tribulation. Now, that's partly true, but we'll see up to a certain point. So what I'd like to do from here is give us some scriptural examples to show the differences of those three. So let's look at the church tribulation. So here's just me kind of trying to summarize all this. And I mentioned there is a tribulation that's unique to the church. And right now we're going to look at the one at least to the faithful church. I call it the faithful edition. And this this tribulation or this trial, this anguish, is in the form of persecution. And I want to read uh, some examples there. In John 16, verse 33, so this is also that night, that last night, you know, before Jesus was arrested. And this was before his high priestly prayer. We'll pick it up in verse 33. He's speaking to his disciples here before he gets arrested. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Philipsis, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So right there, that's one example where even the disciples themselves are going to be subject to persecution. Not for being unfaithful, for being faithful. Uh, Let's look at another example in Acts 14. We'll pick it up in verse 21 and 22. And I'm going right to the meat here. But Paul just got stoned. Paul and Barnabas just got stoned, okay? This was during the first missionary journey, but we'll pick it up in verse 21, after they just got stoned. After they, Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city, Derbe, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, slipsis, we must enter the kingdom of God. I want to pause here. Uh, are some of us familiar with this verse? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Have you heard that before? I've heard some teachings out there saying, okay, well, the pathway to heaven is through tribulation. I'm not saying that's not true. In context here, they just got stoned by their fellow Jews who incited the crowd for preaching the gospel, and they got stoned. And in spite of that, they continued to preach the gospel, even though there was this strong opposition. Then they made many disciples. There was many converts. Then Paul says, through many tribulations, for them, for Paul and Barnabas, in their pathway to the kingdom of God was through tribulations. They must enter. Remember what did Christ tell Paul? I will show you how much you will suffer for my name's sake. Paul saying, I must, but he's putting Barnabas with you. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That's one example. Another, again, this is another example of the church, a tribulation that's specific to the church for being faithful and receiving persecution. And in this more recent example from the Jews, we'll look at another one in our Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10. 
Jesus speaking, then they will deliver you. He's speaking to his disciples here as well. To tribulation, to thlipsis, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name or my anoma. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. So in context here, Jesus, he's given, this is, Matthew 24 is probably, one of, you know, along with Revelation, it's just, it's so compact with truths and prophecies, and it spans at least even from Christ, you know, hundreds, if not even thousands of years. So it's a very difficult subject or, or passage. But know that they in context, he's also making mention there's going to be future false Christs and nations rising to power. And he says, you will be hated by all nations. He's, in context, it, are, it is his disciples. But when you take the Scripture as a whole, the immediate context is the disciples that they're going to be killed for preaching the gospel. And many of us have heard, at least through tradition, that the 12 or 11 disciples or apostles were martyred less John the Apostle. When Jesus says, you will be hated by all nations because of my name, there was an immediate kind of warning. Remember, Jesus told Peter, you're going to be taken where you don't want to. Remember when he restored Peter after denying him three times? He asked him three times if he would love him. And Jesus already warned him of the death that will come. <laughs> He's going to end up dying to show he's sorry and repentant for rejecting his Savior. So there was that immediate context. But when you look at Scripture as a whole, there's also this end times context. And there's going to be elect who are here, and we'll, we'll see who they are. When there's false Christ, false prophets, and Antichrist arrives on the scene, and there will be betrayals, killings, and hatred. There's a, there's a lot there. So a good way, and I tried my best to make the most simplest kind of diagram here, so one type or form of persecution for the, or tribulation for the church is in the form of persecution. And I call this again the faithful edition. So there's the church since 30 AD, since the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, the apostolic period, from that point all the way through when we get to finally the seventh trumpet. And I did a spoiler in one of our more recent studies, remember? The resurrections, the mass resurrections are going to occur after the seventh trumpet is blown. And that is the resurrection and including the rapture and being caught up with our Lord Jesus to meet those who have been raised as well and, and glorified and be united and meet the Lord in the air. So the church tribulation for the faithful church, it started at 30 AD. It's going to continue until the seventh trumpet. And I put a little summary here. So all faithful believers who were persecuted or killed for being a Christian, a witness for, the, for Christ, preaching the gospel, and enabling the spreading of the word are part of the faithful tribulation experienced by the church beginning with the apostles. So if you follow 30 AD, and those who have been faithful for preaching the gospel, for even translating the Bible from other languages to another language and being killed for that, enabling the spread of the Word of God. Those who have been killed from 30 AD through the millennia are part of 
the tribulation experienced by the church for being faithful. Now I want to talk a little bit about the church tribulation that's experienced for those who are unfaithful in the form of discipline. And I want to say this. Oftentimes, God uses people to live out something to communicate His divine will and judgment. I'll give you a couple of examples on this point. In the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, Hosea was commanded by God to take a harlot as his wife and have children of harlotry. Hosea ended up marrying Gomer and had children. And if you follow the story, the names of the children revealed God's divine will and punishment for his people Israel because they committed harlot they were committed harlotry to their God. So he used a person, Hosea, the prophet, to live out what God is going to do to the people and land of Israel. Another example, and this is in Ezekiel. This one was a little fascinating for me. Ezekiel was commanded to take a brick, inscribe Jerusalem on it, so engrave Jerusalem on it. I don't know what Ezekiel did after he got this command, but then he says, speak to the brick. And he says, oh, and also put this iron sheet in front of it and besiege it. So I don't know if he was like a little kid and kind of made some figurines or whatever. So I'm going to get this brick. Okay, let me make, you know, kind of how the land of Israel is. And, and he just spoke and prophesied judgment over Jerusalem. And what happened was Ezekiel, he was a priest. God also commanded him. He goes, lie down on your left side for 390 days. That corresponds to 390 years of judgment and punishment for Israel because of their iniquity. A day for a year. Can you imagine a prophet or a priest here, Ezekiel, a prophet, laying on his side? And they had some setup where he was able to get fed and I guess go to the restroom and all that stuff for 390 days. Because that communicated, he used Ezekiel the priest to live out what he's going to do to his people Israel. And when when he was done with the 390 days, you think he had a little relief? No, go on your right side now. But he goes, this time 40 days, which corresponds to 40 years of Judah's sin. So Israel was worse. But remember, God, through the Davidic covenant, will always keep a light burning for Judah. So there was also some mercy there. And I'm going to say this now. When we study the letter to the seven churches, there's going to be a lot of, oh, um, well, is it historical? Is it future? You know, what is it? I'm going to say this. Use the scripture to argue whatever it is you're teaching. Here's what I'm going to argue. The seven letters to the seven churches, just like in those examples, God is going to use those churches as it has his examples that's going to communicate his divine will and reward and also judgment. And he's using the seven churches to communicate that. And with that, I want to look at one church in particular, the church of Thyatira. So let's read what that letter says to that church. We'll pick it up in Revelation 2, verses 18 through 25. 
And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds are of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in the letter to Thyatira, Jesus warns that some of them who are being immoral... He's saying, you better repent of that immorality or else. They will be thrown into great tribulation. Remember, this is an example of one of the different forms of tribulation that could be experienced by the church, but this is the unfaithful edition. This is the unfaithful church or believer. Now, we're going to get into more of the historic context of the letter to this church when we study that letter But what is communicated here is that there is a warning to the churches, plural, even though it was written to Thyatira, it was a warning to churches, plural, that if they commit acts of immorality because of Jezebel's influence, they will be thrown into great tribulation. And how do we know it's not just specific to Thyatira? Because verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, not to the church of Thyatira. My point is this. Right here, this is one of many tribulations called the megaslipsis, or the churches, plural, and are warned in Scripture. So if I can kind of diagram, okay, well, for the church tribulation, the unfaithful church, at least beginning in that first century, and Thyatira specifically, but it goes beyond Thyatira. So the unfaithful church from that first century until the seventh letter. I didn't put a year. I don't know what year that is. But from first century until whenever the vision or prophecy of the seventh letter to Laodicea, once that is fulfilled, great tribulation follows that. And the unfaithful church who didn't heed the warning that was written to this church in Thyatira, they will be thrown into whatever that great tribulation is. 
And here's a little summary of the church tribulation that would be experienced by the unfaithful. So all unfaithful leaders and believers who did not repent of him, her immorality, ate food sacrificed to idols, will be disciplined by the Lord Jesus. The warning to them is to repent or else they will be thrown into great tribulation after the seventh letter, whenever that is. So, let me just kind of ask some questions, kind of decompress a little bit here. Will the church go through the tribulation or the great tribulation? See? It depends on what are you talking about. So if someone says, will the church go through the tribulation? That's a pretty big subject there. What do you mean? Because since the church has been in existence, it has experienced tribulation in the form of persecution for being faithful, and that has happened at least since the apostolic period, 30 A.D. Read the Acts of the Apostles. Did they not receive persecution for preaching in His name and were commanded not to preach in His name and they were thrown into jail and what have you? It's been, they've been having that. And we know that there's tribulation in the form of discipline for being unfaithful. What happened to the church in Thyatira? Well, I'm going to try to see if we can find out. I suspect they, their lamp was taken out. We'll see why. But again, it's the, the warning is also beyond them. The faithful church will continue to experience much tribulation for being a Christian and the gospel to the very end. So if you're a believer, until that seventh trumpet is blown, you can, you might, you can even expect for being the object of severe persecution for being a believer in Jesus Christ. That'll be a possibility from all the way from 30 A.D., all the way until that seventh trumpet. And a, lot has hap- a lot's going to happen before the seventh trumpet. So there's going to be a lot of crazy that's going to be going on, and some of us might be here. But the unfaithful or unrepentant church will be disciplined beginning in the first century and will experience great tribulation after the seventh letter. So that's, are we kind of following on that? When we say tribulation, at least, okay, there's different types, and the church has its own, and there's kind of two different subcategories of even that. Remember, I took a look at all of it, and I'm trying to put it down in just high level. Now let's look at this other form of tribulation, Jerusalem's tribulation. And let's read the Olivet Discourse. Pick it up in verse Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, I said here, this is Jerusalem's tribulation. And the question is, well, how do you know? That's a very narrow view. Well, let's look at the location that's given in this passage. We'll pick it up in verse 15 again. 
Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, than those who are in Judea. Right there, the warning of our Lord in the Olivet Discourse of this great tribulation that, he's, that is about to come, it is focused in the holy place. Where's the holy place? What city? Jerusalem. What region is Jerusalem in? Judea. So Jesus is speaking about great tribulation that will come upon Jerusalem. Now allow me to fill this in further. And let me know if this helps. Now that we can put a location to it, we can start to plug in some things. And hopefully, let me know if this makes it a little clearer. Let me read this one more time. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place in the city of Jerusalem, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop in Judea must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field in Judea must not go back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days in Judea. But pray that your flight leaving Judea will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation beginning in Jerusalem, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect in Judea, those days will be cut short. Hmm. That narrows it up quite a bit, doesn't it? Probably a little more narrow than what we're accustomed to, but I'm going to cross-reference this, cross this with the other gospel accounts that corroborates what we just read. But what I want to point out here is because when Matthew says, for then there will be great tribulation. Ooh, great tribulation. That's the great tribulation. That's the megaslipsis in Greek. So there's a lot of theology, books, teachings. They ran with that. Oh, there's great tribulation. And they ran with that designation. And I do want to point out a few things. So out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded the Olivet Discourse. John didn't. So it's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Matthew's account is the only one who has megas flipsis. He, he's the one who called it the great, or great tribulation. But Mark's account doesn't. It just says tribulation. It doesn't say megas. It just says tribulation. Luke doesn't even mention tribulation. But what's interesting, when we, we're going to see when we read Luke's account, he does say it's concerning the land and people of Israel. Now let me... Let me show you both Mark and Luke's account. Here's Mark's account. And in the interest of time, I'll just go straight to Matthew, uh, Mark 13, verse 18. But pray that it may not happen in winter, for those days will be... You see that time of in italics that was added there so that we can read it in, in our English. But it's really, for there will be a tribulation. doesn't say megas, just tribulation. When you get to Luke's account, as I mentioned, he doesn't even mention tribulation, but you know what he makes clear? He mentions Jerusalem. Let me read Luke's account, Luke 21, verses 20 to 24. 
But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe! to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now let me take this again, this exact passage because we know it's in the city of Jerusalem, in the region of Judea. Let me reread this and see if this helps clarify it a little more. I'm going to read it again with a little more specificity. But when you see Jerusalem, our Lord says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that Jerusalem's desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city of Jerusalem must leave. And those who are in the country of Israel must not enter the city of Jerusalem, because these are days of vengeance against the people of Israel. So that all things which are written of them in the Old Testament will be fulfilled. Look at this. Woe to Israeli women who are pregnant, And to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land of Jerusalem and wrath to this people, Israel. And they Israelites will fall by the edge of the sword and Israelites will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. A lot more clear, isn't it? It doesn't, it's kind of like our Rab Yam study in prophecy. It was very specific to the Mediterranean Sea and the Mediterranean nations. Well, the Great Tribulation from the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Luke 21, it's specific to Jerusalem's tribulation. Not this Great Tribulation, and the question is, is the church going to go through the Great Tribulation? What? What are you talking about? The great tribulation that Matthew described and what Luke described as well is describing Jerusalem's tribulation. So that's one other tribulation that's unique to Jerusalem and that has nothing to do with the church. We have our own for either being faithful or unfaithful. And that will continue to be in play. So, As far as when does Jerusalem's tribulation begin, well, our Lord tells us when the abomination of desolation, when you see the abomination of desolation, when there is an erection of something where it ought not be in the holy temple, let the reader understand. That is the beginning of the end of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. So Jerusalem's tribulation, it begins at the abomination of desolation. I don't know what year that is. And it's going to go at least until the end of the fifth seal. And a little later, we're going to go through some of what the seals and trumpet judgments are. But 
Are, are you with me? When you say in the tribulation, tribulation, okay, well, we're already finding out their church has its own and the different forms of it. Jerusalem has one that's very specific to it, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it doesn't end there. Uh, we'll look at another type of tribulation global tribulation. This isn't the church tribulation. This isn't Jerusalem's tribulation. This is just global tribulation that's in store for the earth. So let's pick it up again in our Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So in Matthew 24, 39, when Jesus says, after the tribulation of those days is after, as Matthew put it, the megas thlipsis of Jerusalem's desolation, which occurs after the abomination of desolation is set up and it takes us through the fifth seal. Because the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky is prophecy of the sixth seal. I know a lot of this is probably hard to keep up, but... There is a global tribulation that will occur from the time after the abomination of desolation leading up through the fifth seal. And this is where there's a lot of confusion about the tribulation and kind of blurring the lines of you know, the great tribulation and whatever that is when it comes to the global tribulation that is spoken of. Here's just like in the tribulation that's unique to the church, the global tribulation that is spoken of in Scripture, there's two types or forms of global tribulation. There's going to be tribulation from the hands of men. Certain world powers are going to get into power and it's going to result in tribulation for those who are on the earth at that time. So there's global tribulation through the hands of men. That's one type. And there's another global tribulation as a result of the shaking of the heavens. So from the hands of men, and I, I, highlighted us for us, I highlighted this for us here, there's global tribulation from the second seal to the fifth seal, at least. In the second seal, there will be a world war. So granted, right now in where we live, there's a war going on in Russia and Ukraine. And right now, it's only limited to those two countries. But a time will come according to the prophecy of the second seal, that there will be world war, peace will be taken from the earth, and the scripture says that men will slay each other. That's in the second seal. When you get to the third seal, because of the world war, there's going to be enslavement of people. And I want to, right now, I'm inclined to think it's likely Jews and Christians. But I'm, not, I'm just saying likely. I, I, but there's going to be some enslavement after this world war and men are slaying each other, then there's going to be enslavement of people in the third seal. And that's the scales. doesn't mean famine. And some of you might have been taught balancing the scales or food or famine, it means yoke. It is slavery. There will be slavery as a result of that final world war. When you get to the fourth seal, this is global tribulation. This is, what's gonna, this is where the world is headed. As a result of the world war, there's going to be this world power that will be given authority over a fourth of the earth with permission to kill with sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. And when you get to the fifth seal, 
Here's where there's even more confusion. Whoever that new world power is will kill Christians. So after this world war and after this world power is granted authority over a fourth of the earth, sometime thereafter, when we get to the fifth seal, it will result in mass killings of believers. That is a great tribulation. In fact, when we study the fifth seal, when John was asked, oh, those in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? He said, the angel says, well, these are they that came out of the great tribulation. When the fifth seal is broken, whoever that world power is that was given authority over the fourth of the earth will have a massive killing of Christians. And they will be given a white robe. They went through the tribulation. That tribulation. That was part of the global tribulation for, as a result of this world power. But that's the fifth seal. But you see, there, that's global tribulation from the hands of men. Okay? Now, there's a, even another global tribulation from the shaking of the heavens. And that starts from the sixth seal and it goes all the way through the trumpets and then all the way through to the bulls. So when you get to the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, the sun became black, the moon blood red, asteroids are making its way to the earth, and there's great tidal waves. The church is still here, folks. The first trumpet, hail and fire mixed with blood, a third of the earth, a third of the trees, and all the grass were burned up. Second trumpet, something like a great mountain hits the sea, and a third of the sea creatures died, a third of the, a third of the sea became blood, a third of the ships were destroyed. The third trumpet, there was something like a great asteroid. It fell on a third of the rivers, and a third of the waters became bitter, like wormwood, resulting in many deaths. It's not very pleasant, is it? This is what the Bible is warning that is coming. There is this global tribulation that is coming. We're only on the fourth trumpet. Let's get to the fifth. An angel opened up the abyss, and locusts with power of scorpions tormented people on earth without killing them for five months. You get to the sixth trumpet. Four angels were given the green light to kill a third of mankind. Wow. Seventh trumpet. Finally. The reaping of the earth. All resurrected. There's the resurrection of righteousness and the resurrection of judgment. Then you get to the bulls. But let me pause here. The church, the elect Jews, 144,000, are still here. We're still all here until the seventh trumpet. Now, when we get to the global tribulation or God's wrath judgments in the form of the bulls, by this time, okay, we're not here, but here's what's in store for, this is the global tribulation that will be experienced by those on the earth at that time. The first bull, there are going to be severe sores on people who took the mark of the beast and all sea creatures will be killed. Sun will scorch men with fire. Second bowl, all the sea will become blood and all the sea creatures will die. When you get to the third bowl, all the rivers became and springs became blood. There's no more water. It's all blood. Fourth bowl, sun scorched men with its heat. Fifth bowl, whoever that beast was, the throne of the beast was judged. When you get to the sixth bowl, you finally get to Armageddon. So let me ask you a question. Are the believers going to be here in Armageddon? We're at the sixth bowl. No. Seventh bowl, Now, there's already been a lot of earthquakes that has happened in its history and even more in greater magnitude. But this is going to be the greatest earthquake of all 
time. And the seventh bowl. The earthquake is so great. There was already an earthquake prior that moved the islands from its location. This one, the islands will sink. And the mountains will be flattened. And at the seventh bowl, God is finished with his wrath judgments upon the earth. Here's my case in point. Even the global tribulation spoken of in Scripture, there are different types. There's global tribulation at the hands of men from the second to the fifth seals. There's global tribulation at the shaking of the heavens from the sixth to the seventh bowl. And kind of my, my point in going through all this is there's a lot of teaching out there that don't even make lines and they just kind of blur it together. They don't take into account, no, there are different tribulations for these different groups. And even within those groups, there are some subgroups. Sadly, many carelessly make doctrine of loose reading and passing it down as gospel. So for example, some teachings out there says the tribulation is seven years. Here's my question to that teaching. Where is that in the Bible? Where does the Bible say that the tribulation or this great tribulation, first of all, we just studied the great tribulation. Well, okay, well, Jerusalem, Matthew added Megas, called Jerusalem's tribulation the great tribulation, and that's specific to the people and land of Israel. Where did you get this seven-year period from? Oh, is it because there is this mystery concerning the 70th week of Daniel? So after the 69th week, Messiah was cut off and there is this 70th week that wasn't fulfilled because it got pushed back, that there's kind of this seven years that's kind of floating out there. So then they need to say, okay, well, there's a tribulation spoken of and oh, there's seven letters, there's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bulls. It must be seven years, really. Is that the extent of what we're being passed down? That, that was it? Not harmonizing all of Scripture and looking at it for all it's worth? And when someone says, okay, well, there is a great tribulation in the Bible. Okay, my, here's my question. What great tribulation are you talking about? Is it the unrepentant church? The tribulation experienced by Jerusalem, as I mentioned, the people of Israel? Or the global tribulation that we just covered through the seals, trumpets, and bold judgments? What are you talking about? Do you see it's not a very straightforward answer? So here's my advice is if there's any teachings or graphs or theological systems being taught in the area of eschatology or end times, here's my advice. Just take a step back and ask the question, is this really what the Scripture says? Is it a great tribulation, seven years? Is that really what the Scripture says? And then this opens up to things. Have you heard of, hey, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Have you heard that, the tribulation? Because there's this seven-year period of tribulation. So where are you? Are you, you believe the rapture is before, in the middle, or after? What? <laughs> so now I'm like, what? What are you talking about? What do you mean pre, mid, post? What are you talking about? The church will be here until the seventh trumpet is blown. Period. And, and there's, there's warnings to the seven churches. You get to the seven seals and then to the trumpets. There's a lot going on. The heavens will be shook and there will also be some global tribulation at the hands of men. And as we've just learned, the hand, you know, through the shaking of the heavens, what are you talking about if we're going to be raptured pre-mid post? What are you talking about? We're not going to be reaped until the seventh trumpet. 
And there is already different types of tribulations that can occur, whether it's to the church or to Jerusalem or at a global scale. So just ask the question, is that really it or is there more to it? Let's go back to my point. What's often overlooked is there are different types of tribulation or anguish or affliction described in the New Testament. Again, there's the church tribulation, Jerusalem's tribulation, or global tribulation. So now with that, let's go to verse 9 one more time. I'm going to ask you the question. I, John, your fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. Okay, now, what tribulation is John talking about? Is he talking about the church tribulation, Jerusalem's tribulation, or global tribulation? When he says, I am your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, what is he talking about? The church. Okay, which one? The faithful edition. John our brother and fellow sharer in the tribulation for being faithful. And this happened since Pentecost. That's why he goes on to say, it is the church tribulation faithful edition because I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Christ Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God. There is a church tribulation and the testimony of Jesus. So John was experiencing the same tribulation, the church tribulation, faithful edition, that his fellow apostles and believers experienced for preaching the gospel and proclaiming the testimony of Jesus. And in John's case, he was exiled on the island of Patmos, but he was given this great vision. So let's kind of wrap it up here. And here's the takeaways from verse 9. John and the apostles faced severe opposition and persecution for being a witness for Jesus and for preaching the gospel. That's what it means when he says in the tribulation. Since the time of the apostles, believers may experience severe opposition and persecution for being a Christian and believing the gospel. And believers will continue to experience severe opposition and persecution, including death, from 95-96 AD until the seventh trumpet. And as we've just learned, or just kind of touched briefly, in the fifth seal, there's going to be a mass killing of believers. That will be part of, in the tribulation, the faithful church edition that John is talking about. But the takeaway for us is if we find ourselves... So whether you've lived from the time of John through the millennia, even ahead of us, until the seventh trumpet, if we find ourselves in severe opposition, persecution, and we find ourselves even alive during any of the seal or trumpet judgments, the call is to remain faithful and persevere to the end, even if faced with death. And our Lord promises that there will be great reward. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us today at Truth Matters Church as we continue dissecting and expositing the book of Revelation. And once again, we see the importance of using Scripture with Scripture, especially when interpreting end times prophecies. If we say we believe the Bible, we must accept what it says and stop applying our own beliefs and desires when trying to explain passages. In every case, we must look only for what God is communicating through the text. We do hope you're enjoying this study. And if you are, please subscribe to Truth Matters Church on your favorite podcasting platform and like us on Sermon Audio. You can also support the ministry of Truth Matters Church with a gift of any amount 
at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.